Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. What's kind of interesting about 1969 and the Apollo 11 mission is when you think about the technology that was available at the time to allow them to be able to hit a moving target traveling 17,500 miles per hour as a rocket landing on a moon 240,000 miles away at a specific spot. The idea of what it took from technology and computing is kind of amazing. And when you think about that this morning, each of us probably have a smartphone in our hand, as as Andrea mentioned, to get ready to open the Bible with your phone. But when you think about it this morning, we all have a smartphone. And with this smartphone, we have more power and more technology than the computers that sent the Apollo 11 to the moon. You know, if you think about it, though, if today you are one of the few that has decided to splurge a little bit for the new iPhone 14, you have enough power, computing power and technology in your hand right now to guide over 250 million, million Apollo 11 missions to the moon all at the same time. It's kind of fascinating to think about how technology has has changed over the years. And so if we're going to have that much power in our hands, then we better talk about how we leverage that power to make a difference in the kingdom of God. That if we're going to have that much power in our hands, then what we choose to do with this power, that, that it matters. It matters for us that call ourselves Christ followers. It even matters for those of you that might be here today and you're kind of kicking the tires of faith trying to figure out what's this all about. And today we are concluding our series called Asking for a Friend. And we're going to get super practical today, the kind of practical talk that... um, Whether you're a Christ follower or not, that this could be a benefit to you today. We're going to talk today about how to deal with social media trolls. How to, in other words, as a Christian, how do we respond in using social media so that we can leverage the influence that we have for the kingdom of God? Because the reality is, is we've got this much technology in our hands and we spend as much time as we do on it then we need to know how to respond with this in the world that we live in today. Let's go to the Lord and, um, and pray over our time together. Would you say this with me? Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Social media trolls. That's an interesting phrase Another way to say it is haters. We've, we've all kind of been on the receiving end of that from time to time, right? These are individuals that uh, use the power of their device to leave comments on our social media, to say things in hopes of trying to kind of stir up some trouble, some conflict, maybe a little controversy, some arguments, like we've all seen it. Now, these aren't people that have genuine questions about whatever you post. These are people who tend to be easily offended, people who are looking for opportunities to come at you and to attack you with insults and ridiculous assumptions, hoping to get an emotional response. In a digital world like we live today and as much time as we spend on social media, You and I have probably all been on the receiving end of this kind of interaction online. Some of us in this room may have even found some opportunities to do a little trolling yourself with some people online. You know, I think back about a year ago and and I posted something online that was a, a Bible verse 
And, um, and we got it up on the screen, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And I posted this, um, and, and I, w- I want to read it because it's kind of applicable to, um, to our talk today. But I posted it, and I made reference online that this is, that it's eerily similar uh, to what our culture is like um, today. And I never in a million years uh, realized that I would have gotten the response uh, that I got. But um, let's look together, Second Timothy chapter 3, um, starting in verse 1. Do we have it? Okay. Look what it says here. But mark this. In other words, you can take this, what I'm about to say, to the bank. He says, mark this, that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> like, like, read this through the lens of our culture today and, and tell me what, what you think. Lovers of, of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at this statement. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, we kind of have this shell of, of godliness, but no real resurrection power on the inside of us. Like maybe you're here today and that's kind of looks like your life or maybe you know some people that, that, that kind of wear the, 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 the badge of, of Christ follower, but there's very little power to overcome the temptations and the sin in their life. And, and what Paul is telling Timothy here is that in the last days, our world is going to be full of people like that. It's going to be full of people that raise their hand when, when the poll asks the question, are you a Christian? And their hands are going to go up. But in their life, and the fruit of their life looks nothing like that. And Paul says this, that they're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, that they're going to have a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he says this to Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with such people. I think that last statement's kind of a strong statement. I think what Paul is getting at is that it's one thing to be a witness. It's one thing to shine a light in darkness. Obviously, you can't see a light if all you hang out with is light, right? So there's, there's this idea of us being a light in the darkness. But I think what Paul is getting at is don't let those kind of people in your inner circle, like, don't let those kind of people to be the ones that are speaking into your life and influencing the decisions that you make. And so when you look at a verse like that, and, and I posted um, that verse, and I said, man, isn't it, isn't it kind of weird how similar um, our culture is to what we see there? Um, you would think that that would be kind of an innocent post, right? Uh, wrong. Now, those of you that are, are jumping on my social media to try to tra- uh, track it down, I've already deleted it, so <laughs> you're not going to be able to find it. But, um, but I got a response from somebody that was somebody that we know, somebody that we've done life with, somebody that is a Christ follower, I believe it through and through in my heart, somebody that's done amazing things um, in society, um, somebody that we love. But I got this response um, from this individual, and the response came at me saying that, that my post um, was racist, and that what I had posted up on um, social media and began to, she began to go back into history and how this was kind of bringing up this kind of racist side. And I'm going to tell you what, I had no idea where it was coming from. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Like, like you post something and you think you're all good and then all of a sudden like stuff starts getting brought up everywhere. And that was like the situation that, that I was in in a moment, and, and I wish, I wish, I wish that I would have heard part three of asking for a friend before that moment. <laughs> 
Um, because I did what a lot of us sometimes do. I took the bait. I took the bait and I kind of thought through, I was kind of methodical in my response, but I was like, listen, that is so far from who I am. And you're like, you're putting a label on me and you don't really even know me like that. And, and so I kind of crafted this, this response that was, was really articulate and was kind. It wasn't like, it wasn't like coming after this individual. And then, oh my gosh, all of a sudden it just blew up. And then I've got people that I'm friends with that read it and they're like, what do you think? Like, not to me, but to this end. And then they're commenting and then this person's commenting back. And I mean, it took off. I mean, we all experience stuff like that from time to time in our life. We all end up taking the bait and end up saying things and doing things that we regret on the other end of it. And whether you realize it or not, like we think of social media trolls, we think of haters, we think of people that are stirring all this conflict, and we kind of think, okay, that's something that has only been around since social media started. But if you really think about it, like there's been trolls and haters since the beginning of time. Like think about... Think about um, Adam and Eve. Think about them in the garden. Like they're there like just posting on Instagram, like taking pictures of like the fruit and in this amazing and the beautiful nature and like all this stuff. And they're having to keep the pictures, you know, um, shoulder high because um, the sin hadn't happened yet. But um, (laughs) I should not have said that. It just popped into my head. I thought... (laughs) Uh, that's one of those comments that like when I'm at lunch that Andrea like kicks me under the table in the shin when I say it, but, um, but they're in there like posting all this stuff on Instagram and, uh, just about their experience and all that's happening. And then all of a sudden this troll shows up in the form of a serpent and the serpent says like, did God really say that? Right? And starts throwing accusations and trying to mislead. And, and Adam and Eve did what many of us often do. They took the bait. They took the bait and look at the chaos that's happened ever since then. Like we've, we are still dealing with the ramifications of the decision that they made today. When you, when you think of that, not only were trolls back all the way back at the beginning of time, but even Jesus dealt with that. Like think about all the people, think about the Pharisees, think of all the people that, that, that would, would, would ask these kind of trick questions trying to get Jesus to have an emotional response. They would, they would throw all the insults. I mean, think about Jesus on the cross and all the mockery that was happening to him in the moment. And I think to myself, like, how did, how did Jesus navigate all of that? Like, how did he keep his emotions in check? How did he know when to respond and when not to respond? And and when he did respond, how was he able to respond in such a way that he didn't jeopardize his kingdom influence? I think those are some questions that we need to ask in this digital age to have a better idea of knowing like, hey, we are in the middle of it. We're gonna experience it from time to time, but what are the perspectives that we need to have in order to make sure, like Jesus, that, that we know when to respond and when not to respond and both happening in such a way that we never lose the influence that God is entrusting in us to make an impact and the difference in the lives of those around us. I wanna share with you um, five perspectives that we find in scripture that I think will help us, um, help us to be able to navigate uh, social media, to navigate like how we respond and, and what we say. And so if you're taking notes, number one is this, that we've gotta see them the way that Jesus sees them. We've got to see people through like, like the context of our relationships today are so shallow 
because we don't have a whole lot of interaction face to face. Most of our interaction is through a digital device. And so it's so easy for us to see a comment and to form an assumption about that individual. And so I think the first thing that, that we've got to do is we've got to see them the way that Jesus sees them. And I don't know about you, but that's not, that's not in my human nature, right? I mean, my human nature is to see a post, to see a picture, to kind of try to read into the response and then all of a sudden form a, an assumption about the individual. But I want you to see something kind of interesting uh, that I've never noticed um, before this week. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, um, look, look at this. As Jesus was walking along, that he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, look at this. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. That it happened so the power of God could be seen in him. If you notice in that passage that the disciples had a different viewpoint, they saw this man differently than Jesus did. For the disciples, when they came up on this blind man and had this interaction, their perception was a problem. But Jesus's perception was a prospect. They saw a problem. They saw reasons why this individual got to the place they were in. But Jesus saw potential. Jesus looked at this person, and, and I'm sure he understood, obviously, all the things that had transpired to this moment, but Jesus looked at the potential within this man. He was more concerned about um, um, how he got the way that he was, or less concerned about that, than he was concerned about what he wanted to do in this man's Life. And I think the challenge for us today is how are we viewing people? When we're on social media and we're interacting, like how are we, what assumptions are we forming? The second thing that we've got to do, the second perspective is we've got to love them the way that Jesus loves us. We've got to love them the way that Jesus loves us. Us. How does Jesus love us? We see that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. And then I have this underlined in my Bible, while. Yeah. While we were still sinners. Like Jesus died for us before we ever got it right. And there's this, this perspective that you and I have to have in the midst of this digital world that we are, we are looking through the eyes of Christ to individuals, but we are also loving them the way that Jesus has loved us. What does this love look like in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, I think it's beautifully written. You've, you've, you know, whether you've been in church or maybe this is your first time, like you've probably kind of heard parts of this verse or passage before. But, but look what it says. This is what that love begins to look like. First off, Paul talks about, um, he's going to describe a little bit later what love looks like. First, he's going to describe what it doesn't look like. He says this, that if I could speak all the languages of earth, and of angels, but didn't love others, that I'd only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If you went to the game last night and sat by the band with the dudes with the cymbals, you know exactly what this is going to be like. And he's like, that's what, that's what you're going to be. He said that if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, that I would be nothing. 
I mean, think about that. Think about like even in the church world, like how much we put people on the pedestal because of certain gifts or the way that we see God using them, right? And what Paul's saying is like, at the end of the day, that's not really all that important. At the end of the day, like whether we love other people, that is the important thing. He's saying like people come up, people come up and preach, they can go out and serve, they can feed the homeless, they can be um, um, help, they can give money, they can do all of these kind of different things. But if they don't have love in their heart, he's like all those acts and all those things that you do that they're, that they're worthless. And think about that through the perspective of how you enter, uh, um, engage with people online. He says this, um, that if I gave everything that I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, that I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, that I've gained nothing. Like he's getting at, like I can wear the Christian t-shirts. I can, I can have the transformation church like, like plate on my, on, on my car, which I do. Sometimes I regret that because I'm not the greatest. Um, I'm a little aggressive in my driving. Um, <laughs> And it's been an accountability thing for me. Like I've wanted to like, I've wanted to like take off and then I realized, well, this person's going to pull behind me at the stoplight. And so I got to be on my best behavior. But anyway, like Paul's like, like you could, you could serve, you can do great things. You can feed the homeless. You can wear the Christian shirts. You can have all the bumper stickers. Like you can do all of that. But if you don't have love in your heart for people, not just love in your heart for people that, that think like you and do like you and dress like you, but, but love in your heart for all people, the kind of, like you're loving people the way that Jesus has loved you. And I think that's one of the things that I've loved about Pastor Brent last week. Did you guys enjoy that last week? He did an amazing, amazing job. But that's one of the things that I think like, if we lose the perspective of how sinful we are, it don't matter if you've grown up in church or hadn't grown up in church like me, it don't, it don't matter. Like sin is sin. You know, the person that's the, the, that has walked through the door today, that alcohol still, you can smell it um, on your breath. Like your sin is no worse than the sin of, of, of the people like my kids that have grown up in church all of their life that, that may have said a lie or something. Like it's no different. And I think, I think what we've got to recognize is the way we conduct ourselves online and social media, especially as we're thinking about like, Oh, good Lord, another election. Like, I mean, are we not divided enough? And now we got another one. And, and as we're thinking about that, we've got to look through the perspective or the lens of, listen, I am just as sinful as the person that I'm interacting with. Like my sin is just as bad. And if Jesus died for me while I was still in my sin, then that means Jesus has died for them. And I become a vessel that God wants to use to be an influence in their life. Paul describes this love. He goes to the other side. That's not what love is. This is what love is. He says love is it's patient. Oh, I hate that word. I hate that. My grandma told me even before I was saved, like my grandma, don't ever pray for patience unless you, you want to deal with how God gets it to you, right? Um, but love is patient and it's kind. Like think of this, think of this through the context, through the lens of how we engage and interact on social media. Love is patient and it's kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. The love never gives up, that it never loses faith, that it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Listen, if we're going to be a people that protects our kingdom influence in a digital world, then we have to look at people through the lens of God's grace, not our opinions, right? Now listen, sometimes, even though the best practice would be if people are like stirring up 
hate and trouble on your, on your, on your social media stuff, like the best practice is to ignore them. Or we got, we got a funny little troll on our um, church post uh, this past week that was kind of funny. And so I responded to that, um, LOL, uh, touche. Like, they, you know, they, it was funny. And, and it's the kind of way that people don't expect. They never responded beyond that because I think it shocked them that they probably thought a church was going to blast them for, for what they said on there. And we just didn't do it. You know, there's some, there's some times that the best practice is to ignore or to block or to delete. Like I ended up having to delete. I did that with my post because I didn't want it to be a stumbling block for um, anybody that's maybe kicking the tires of faith or been following the Lord or whatever. So I was like, you know what? It's just not, yes, it's my personal uh, Facebook account, but it's just not, it's not worth it. But then there's times then there's times that you respond and you pray about it and you're asking the Lord, like, what, what should I do in this moment? And there's times that you will feel led to respond. And in those times that you feel led to respond, I want to give you the final three things. These are perspectives. If you feel like you're led to respond to a comment or post, I think these would help um, you in that. The third um, perspective is that we need to know that we're accountable for every word that we speak. <laughs> mm. If you're an extrovert like my wife, there's more significance to that, you know. Um, <laughs> she's already got a head start, but... Mm. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. I mean, these are like, this is heavy. Like Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, and I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. <laughs> Some of you guys are deleting social media accounts right now. You're like, oh, that's heavy. Now look at this. The next verse, the words that you say will either acquit you or condemn you. In other words, you can use your platform to speak words of encouragement and life and grace and hope and love, or you can use your platform to throw out insults, use, the Bible, use Bible verses as like darts, like gotcha darts, right? <laughs> I mean, think about, I mean, just think about, think about some of the things that we post, even from the context of being a Christ follower, using scripture as a way to like create gotcha moments. Like, I, I think that kind of defeats God's heart for what scripture was about. Like, because the reality is scripture was more about <laughs> me, right? It was more about cutting me so that I become more like Christ, not about standing on top of it so that we can hurl accusations at other people. Proverbs 26 Four gives us some pretty good advice, says don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. In other words, it's easier for us to, to get dragged into the mud on social media with the stuff we're posting than it is for us to pull other people out of the mud. The fourth thing that we need to know perspective-wise is that we should communicate the heart of God, not the opinion of man. The heart of God, not the opinion of man. And if you really think about the history of social media, um, very few people have ever changed their mind because of something you've posted. <laughs> I mean, I mean... Think about it, like very few, like they even did a, a study on this, Pew Research 
uh, put out a study recently, and they discovered this interesting fact that, that on average, we spend over 1,800 hours a year on social media. That's, that's over five hours a day. That's average. Like if you dig down into like this Gen uh, Z, like the studies show that they are spending over half of their awake hours on social media. And some of you in here being like, why are we preaching on social media? Like that, that, what's that got to do with what, with, with coming to church? Like if we're spending that much time and we have that much power in our hands, then we better know how to respond on social media as a Christ follower. And so Pew Research, over 1,800 hours a year on social media, here's what they discovered. Only 14% actually changed their mind on a single issue over a period of an entire year. Like think, I mean, think about like over 1,800 hours that we're on social media and all these things that are getting posted on there that are differing opinions of ours and, and only 14%, right, change their mind on a single issue over a period of a year. Now, what that tells me is that that when we stand back like behind the walls of, of our house or in our car or at the gym or whatever, and we're, and we're using social media as a weapon to try to get into arguments and to try to, man, maybe if they see this article shared, like, boom, the light will go off and like their whole world will change and they'll be like, I've been this way all of my life, but now I'm coming your way because you posted something on social media <laughs> and what we're seeing, like that's not the case, that doesn't happen. And so, so maybe that's why we should be less about trying to prove a point and more about trying to be influential using social media as a tool to be influential for the kingdom of God. Look at uh, look what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 23 through 26. He says, again, I say, don't get involved in the foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. He said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to, to everyone, be able to teach. And I hate this part. Like, I, I can't remember who, maybe it was Pastor Brent last week. Like, there's some things in scripture you wish weren't there, right? This is it for me. Like, be patient with difficult people. <laughs> it says in verse 25, gently. Instruct those who oppose the truth, perhaps, perhaps, like maybe, maybe, God will be able to change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You know, we could read a passage of scripture like that and I think we lose the understanding that I don't think they had social media back then. <laughs> that we read this passage in the context not of being on a device, but being face to face with an individual. That he talks about being gently instructing those who oppose the truth like, yes, there's a way that we can do that on social media with our thumbs and with typing, but what Paul's getting at here with Timothy is that you gotta get in the room. You gotta get face to face and drink a cup of coffee and get to know their story and let them get to know your story. And, and it's in the dynamic of those kind of relationships that when there's difference of opinions that you can pull out the word and you could talk about how the world word has impacted your life and, and begin to gently begin to instruct. And I think what we see, that's one of the reasons why small groups is so important is that for most of us, we spend the majority of our time in life with just a couple influences and then behind a screen thinking that this is connection. 
I think of all the stuff that it stirs up within us and the frustration and the anger and the resentment and all that. And I think if Paul was to, to be here today and to speak to us, I think his challenge to us would be get in the room. Church, how, how shameful would it be that we lose our kingdom influence at the expense of making a point? Do we really think that God would look down on that and smile and say you won the argument, but you lost the influence? I think the fifth thing, and this is probably the biggest one as we close today, the fifth one is this, is that we've got to have this perspective in remembering that we're all called to be missionaries. Maybe you're not called to go to another country, but you are called to be a social media missionary. You are called to use the influence that you have in the circles of, of life that you have to, to leverage the connection that you have with people for God's glory, not ours. You know, I think sometimes, sometimes we deflect our responsibility because we'll look at somebody up on a platform like this and think, well, I don't have a platform because I don't have this. But the reality is, is we all have a platform. That this is what God's called me to, but what has God called you to? Like you have relationships and you have connections that I'll never have. And God has uniquely deposited you within your job, whether you like it or not right now. Like if he's not opened the door yet, then it's because he's got something better for you. Like, like something that we learned a long time ago is sometimes God's no's are more gracious than his yeses. Like if you've ever been, I mean, if God ever answered all of our prayers, we'd all be messed up. But God has you uniquely where you are, whether it's school, whether it's on sports teams, whether it's at work, wherever it is, that you do life, God uniquely has you there to be a missionary, to represent his kingdom, to use your influence to make an impact and the difference in others' lives. This is the way Paul said it, and I'm gonna close with this. He said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. He said, in all of this, think of that, in all of this, it's a gift from God. Like all of this, the, the peace that you have in your heart when you lay your head down on the pillow knowing that if God were to take you home tonight, that you know that you will spend the rest of eternity in the glorious heavenly choir singing worship songs and watching light shows. <laughs> Like all of this is a gift, like knowing your story and where you've come from and all that God has brought you out of and all that he's brought your family out of. Like Paul's like, all of this is a, is a gift. The life that you have right now is a gift. And he says this, that it's a gift and God has also given us a task. We've been able to receive a gift that we didn't pay for. And God says when we receive that gift that we also receive a task. And that task is reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Another word for that is transformation. A, a wonderful message of transformation. This is what God has done in my life. 
And because this is a gift to me, I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it. There's nothing that I could do that would take it away from me because he brought me out of the mud, out of the miry clay. My life was dark and addicted and with despair and broken. And because he has brought me out of that into his marvelous light, all of this life that I now experience is a gift from him. And God says, but now you have a task. It's the ultimate calling that no matter what your gift is, no matter what your personality is, that we all have this calling to be a missionary of God's glorious light of what he's done in our life and how we translate that to other people. And he says this in verse 20, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. When you walk into the grocery store, you represent him. When you walk into your work, you represent him. When you, when you stand before a team that you're coaching, you represent him. When you're on a team, you represent him. Like no matter, when you go to the game last night, you represent him. Like, and look what Paul says, God is making his appeal through us. Church, imagine. Imagine if 2,000 years ago that, that God could change a world because 12 people decided to be an ambassador. Imagine what would happen if a church of our size or a community of our size of Christ followers recognized this task that God has given all of us and we devoted our lives not for our gain and our wants, but we devoted our lives to be a reflection of his grace in our life. What might God do? What might God do if we as Christ followers quit creating and, and stirring up division online and we ended up using our social media as a way to influence and to, to say, this is what God is doing in my life and he can do it in your life too. <laughs> we all have a story. We all have a story. And what the enemy will do, the enemy will try to get us ashamed at our story. God has called us, he uses, he redeems the mistakes that we've made in the past and he uses it for his purposes. What's your story? And how might God be trying to speak, make his appeal through your story and the lives of others? Would you bow your head with me today? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We thank you, Father, that while we were still sinners, that you sent your son to die on a cross so that we would have a choice between life and death. God, forgive us. Forgive us for having such a short-sighted mission for our lives but Father, we end up living our lives for what we can get and our little kingdom that we can build here rather than living our lives for the greater purposes of your kingdom. Father, as we step into a new season, as we step into a political season, Father, I just pray that God, we would have these five perspectives in the way that we Navigate our lives online. God, use us in a mighty way that we can take the light of Christ that has changed our life and shine it bright for all to see. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stay in your seat for just a moment. 
We wanna do one more thing before we close. Today, uh, if you're new to, to Transformation Church, I've been um, had the honor of being the pastor here for um, right at two years. September this month is, I mean, I think this weekend is two, two years. And um, we had the honor of, of following um, one of the most beautiful couples uh, as pastors um, that we've ever had the opportunity to do life with, Pastor Terrell and Kathy Todd, who served here for 18 years and did an amazing, amazing job. And um, they retired a couple years ago and we've been blessed. Like uh, we were talking this past week, there's not a whole lot of churches where, um, where there's a healthy relationship between the new pastor and the, and the outgoing pastor. And they have just, they've been such a, a blessing to come and worship with us when they're in town. And um, uh, Pastor Terrell and Kathy um, are, are moving to uh, Charlotte area. And uh, today is their last Sunday. And so I thought it would be a special moment for us as a church to, to pray over them uh, today as they kind of begin a new, um, a new journey. And then I've also asked uh, them to pray over us as a church as we step into a new season. And so uh, Pastor Kathy, would you mind coming up? Would you give it up for these guys? Oh, we can't, Andrew and I can't tell you enough how much we care for these two. We had the opportunity to, to work on staff and then God sent us away and then God decided to bring us back. And, um, uh, I have somebody else closing the service cause I didn't think I'd get through this moment very well, but I just, I, Andrew and I want to thank you for your influence in this church, your influence in our lives that you would believe in us enough um, uh, to entrust us as, all, as well as the congregation and the deacons to, to step into this new season. And we just, we love you guys. We honor you guys. We know we'll see you again. We know that this isn't like the last time, but, um, but we just want you to know from the depths of our heart how much we love you guys. Would you, would you extend your hands um, this way and let's, let's pray for them. Father, we love you. And God, we're so thankful for heritage. Yes, Lord. That Lord, we have such a rich heritage at Transformation Church, formerly Evangel. And Lord, even in this room, we have individuals where the church was started in their family basement. Even watching online, we have charter members that, that are watching. Just such a rich um, history and heritage and Lord, today is a special moment as, God, we have Pastor and Kathy here who served for 18 years and Pastor grew up in this church. And Lord, we just, we thank you for their service. Lord, most people don't understand the, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sleepless nights, the, the moments that you give up things that you're wanting to do to be able to step in and to help families go through difficult times and Father, they did that faithfully here at this church for 18 years. You, Lord. That, Lord, there's people in this room, Lord, that their eternal destiny yes, is changed because of, because of the light that is in them. Yes, Lord. Lord, they allow themselves to be an ambassador, a representative of you to us, and it's changed our lives forever. So, Lord, we just lift up them. Lord, we pray for protection as they travel. Lord, we, we pray, Lord, I, we know that you're not done with them yet, that God, you have a great calling upon their life. And Lord, I just pray, Father, you would make that even more real as they begin to transition to be closer to family. Lord, let these next years, Lord, just be so special to them as they love on grandkids and, and uh, their sons-in-laws and, and daughters. Let it just be a special, special moment. But God, May your hand rest upon them and use them in a mighty way, Lord, to speak into the lives of others. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Are you praying?
Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Well, we love you guys. And um, since we're, we, we moved last Saturday, so we're knee-deep in boxes. But we, we came back down for the closing on our property here tomorrow. And um, so last Thursday, some of you know that today the President's Cup is being played in Charlotte. Um, and so today it'll conclude. And so last Thursday I got to go. And so Pastor Ryan, I brought you uh, President's Cup hat. Yeah. And I wonder, how did you get E.J. Manuel to sit for your, for your logo? Some of you remember when E.J. was, was the quarterback at FSU, they played Notre Dame in a bowl game. And uh, he basically, they were losing. And in the second half, he won the game for him in the second half by his running and his passing. And only after the game, they learned that EJ had a broken leg. And he did it all. That's courage. Pastor Ryan and Pastor Andrea have courage. But they'll never be successful here if you don't get behind them and if you don't pray for them. The only way Kathy and I could stay here for 18 years and pastor was because many people got behind us and prayed for us. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord God, we bless Andrea, we bless Pastor Ryan from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet. We speak that sweet anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage. We bind every demonic spirit in the name of Jesus. And God, we speak that sweet anointing just to flow through them. Lord, as you made them unique, God, to flow through them. It may not flow the way it does with me. It may not flow the way it does with other evangelists. But God, I pray for the anointing that flows through Pastor Ryan with his unique gifts and personality. Through Pastor Andrea with her unique gifts and personality. And Father, Lord, you said that you would build your church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now, Lord... You know those who can receive from the ministry of transformation. I pray that you would send them, Lord, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. And Lord God, I thank you for revival. And I thank you, Lord, for saving hundreds and thousands of people. We say in Jesus' name, devil, you can't have Tallahassee, Florida. You cannot have this town. You can't have this community. And I thank you that Transformation Church is a lighthouse on a hillside. And everybody says amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening. And we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.